Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's good to be with you. My name is Chris, the lead pastor here. And if you have your Bibles, um, please turn to Mark chapter 8. Our leadership team has been um, working hard over the last number of months on identifying a way forward for us organizationally and leaning into um, deeper understanding of our calling and what we're supposed to do as leaders to create space for you. And we've made a, a decision today to pivot away from the lectionary. And so typically our rhythm here at Trinity is to read from an old, old, old Bible reading plan. And we, um, rather than do that today, because we have a really um, important announcement to make and an important result of some significant clarity for us as a result of this process, we've chosen to pick a text that we think articulates where our hearts are. And my prayer for you today is that as we, um, as we engage this, that maybe you'll find that this is also something you may be experiencing in your own life as well as us living corporately together and asking Jesus for clarity. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray for grace to look at the word of God today as it, I think in this instance, really symbolizes or represents some of the work you are doing in us as a church a lack of clarity, a bit of clarity, a desire for more clarity. But I also pray that God, where we in our own lives need you, Jesus, to show us something today in your word, I pray that you would help us to do that, to receive from you, to be open and present to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our youth pastor, Dave um, McCune, was sitting in my office a couple of weeks ago, and he shared this passage with me. And he said this is a, a kind of picture of some reality that he's holding in his own life with God. And I was really struck by this text. It's one of the most bizarre passages in, in the Bible, frankly. It's, it's for sure the only time Jesus spits um, that we're aware of in the text of, of the Bible. He probably did spit. Uh, at other times, but it was not written down until this moment. And the, the reason why Dave brought this was that he felt like there's a sense of moving toward clarity and not having every kind of clarity or bit of clarity that you need, but trusting that Jesus is with you as things are even unfolding and not yet there. I think this is a text really about process and about the tension of where a story is going when you're not really in control of the way the story is unfolding. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. And so since Dave shared that with me, I've been holding this in my own heart um, for these last number of weeks and now felt like a good time to, to reflect together before I share. Uh, and then Ashley comes to, to stand with me and share some really important clarity that we've received from God. People bring a blind friend to Jesus. 
this guy would have had a place in his village. He would have, uh, according to Jewish kind of moral code, had a place to sit and ask for alms as a blind man. And people would have been under some form of moral, spiritual obligation to support him. And so he had a place, it was a known place, it was a, a public space where he would ask for alms and he would receive alms. That's how he lived. That's how he would have made his life work as a person who was not um, able enough to, to do his own work in the culture of the day. And I'm struck by the fact that this guy needed something from Jesus, but he couldn't get to Jesus by himself. He was blind. He couldn't get out of his space into another space on his own. He needed, he needed friends. And, and I think that these guys are friends. They're for sure companions who are willing to take a risk, who are willing to move this fella closer to Jesus so that clarity would come to him. And I love that because clarity doesn't ever really happen in isolation, or, or if it does, it has to be walked out in community. And what we see in this guy is a sense of withness as he is seeking and longing and hoping for something good to happen in his life. And I've been thinking a lot about this guy um, because there have been um, truly for me in some ways over the last three years, a lack of clarity, a lack of clarity around um, how to make sense of the way forward in my own understanding of calling and in my own understanding of my personal journey with God and leadership and as it relates to Trinity. But I think the thing that I love about this story is that we're invited to, to see ourselves in two spaces, as the blind person who needs help and as the friends of a blind person who bring people to receive help. We don't get to just be one or the other. We're, we're never called to just be helpers or the helped. We're called, I think, in a moment like this to see ourselves in the blind man and to see ourselves in the friends of the blind man. Like we, get, we have to be both of those as we live our lives and walk through life. And I think that that's really important for us. We get to be both. We're, we're called to be both blind and need of help and to be a companion to those who are in need of help and clarity. The second thing we see in this story that I find so provocative, frankly, is that Jesus leads this blind man by the hand. He, he doesn't actually go to him in his place and heal him there. He, he invites him to stand up and he invites him to move out of the stuck place and to leave the community, to leave the village. Um, and the blind man would have known generally that he was headed out of the village, but he wouldn't have necessarily known why or what was going to happen or where they were going to end up. He had to actually in some way consent to be led in his blindness. He had to consent to be led in the middle of a lack of clarity. And I know that in my own journey, and maybe this is true for you, when we're unable to see the way forward, we oftentimes um, lock ourselves down because we're afraid of what movement would look like. It's like movement can become more disorienting, and so we oftentimes stay put. This guy cooperated in the midst of a lack of clarity. And Jesus takes him to this place, and this guy maybe has an idea they're leaving town, but he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. And then he does something, Jesus does something super weird, super 
um, unorthodox and even uncomfortable. He probably finds a space, um, in my own imagination, it's probably under a tree or in some space that's um, a place where they would sit down and he spits on the ground and he makes uh, saliva and he touches this guy's face. And if you experience this from the blind man, his perspective, he hears the sound of spitting, something cold and wet touches his face. I mean, this would have been a really odd moment, um, a moment where maybe he would have been tempted to, to recoil or to pull back. And then Jesus asks him a question. He says, what do you see? And the, the third thing that we see here is the man says, I see people, but they look like trees. So he goes from nothing to something, but he's not seeing clearly. And this story for me is so important because it gives me an, a, a handle to hold on to that there are times where we go from a total lack of clarity to partial clarity, even as we hope for complete clarity. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe there's a space in your life to where some measure of clarity has come to you and yet you're not where you wanna be. And this guy gives me permission to be there. I think he gives all of us permission to be there in that space. And I love the fact that Jesus asks him, he says, what do you see? And the guy said, I see something, but I, but I don't see the whole thing. I see something, but it feels fuzzy enough that people look like trees. Something has happened, but not everything has happened. Jesus is working and yet things are still in process. And I wonder for you where you're experiencing that right now. Maybe there's a space where Jesus is doing something, but you know that if it were to stop right there, it would be totally unsatisfactory. Maybe that's true in your marriage. Maybe it's true in your job. Maybe it's true in some area of hope you've been holding out, like Marty said during the music, where you thought, maybe I should just quit entirely because I can't live my life seeing people like trees. Where do things look like trees for you? I'm so glad it doesn't end there. The last thing we see in this text is that Jesus touches him again and he's able to see. We're told that he actually looks intently and he sees. And then Jesus says to him, go home, don't go back to the village. And I think that's really important because if he had gone back to the village, he would have slotted back into his familiar old place, you know, the place where he sat and the place where he begged and the place where everybody knew him and knew what he was about and what he needed. And so Jesus says to him, essentially, I want you to go home and I want you to learn how to see. I want you to learn how to be a person who sees. And as I think about our life with God, I, I think that there are times where we need to understand that sometimes clarity comes, I, maybe most of the time, clarity comes this way. It's a process. It's a process that unfolds incrementally. We want clarity to come in one moment, right? We want the clarity that, that, that strikes us like a lightning bolt and then changes everything. And yet oftentimes we're like this blind guy. We we fall forward and we ask Jesus to hang with us. And the thing that I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't go anywhere. Jesus stays right there with him as he is moving from total lack to partial to full clarity. 
That's what's been happening over here for the last number of months. Uh, since December, we have been working with a consultant named Jim Wirt, and he's a good and godly man. He's been around the block a few times. We've been working as a staff leadership team with our vestry to try to determine the way forward for Trinity. And I will be really candid. This has been a really painful and difficult process. And even the clarity that we believe today has come from Jesus is painful and really difficult. And yet somehow Jesus is hanging with us in it all. He's working in it all. When I stepped back from work back in August and was gone for, for four months, there were multiple occasions where I couldn't see anything and certainly couldn't imagine a way to move forward. I was so worn out and burned out and in some ways overwhelmed and bewildered that I thought, I think this story here at Trinity, there were times where I wondered whether it was coming to an end. It's strange to stand in front of you and say that. Planted this church with a group of friends 20 years ago. Marty and I were uh, roommates in, in college. You should have seen our apartment. <laughs> Grown up around here. And there were times where that pain in me caused pain in our system. I think I can, I can say with clarity that the last three years I've been in a kind of vocational or existential place of liminality, of not knowing where the story was headed, a lot like this guy thinking, how do you see when you can't see? Jesus, what do we do? I think the gift of the last number of weeks since my return is that our, our team has come together to say, what does it look like to see? What does it look like to get to Jesus together? And that's been a hard road. And yet today, that stress and that upheaval in me, which resulted in stress and upheaval in those who love this church and love me, um, is real. And yet God is also in the middle of all of that. And that unsettling space for me has, I think, resulted in all of us coming closer to Jesus and seeing what we hope is his best in terms of the way to move forward. And because of that, I don't think I would trade the upheaval. I think I would probably trade in some ways our response to some of the upheaval, but not the upheaval itself. I think we had to all work together and individually to find something in God. And that process took a lot of time. When I stepped away from Trinity for four months, Ashley stepped into the senior leader role and she did so with a lot of grace and a lot of dignity, and I'm so thankful for her. What this season has done, I think for all of us, but for sure I can say it personally for me, is it's clarified how much this church means. That this is not a church that's about Chris or about Ashley or about any one of us. This is God's church. It's not even about our bishops or our Anglican tradition. It's it's about the kingdom. It's about God. And Trinity is a gift. And the people at Trinity, including you and including our, our team, are a gift. And the work that God has done on a personal level in me is he's given me a sense of 
settled conviction that I'm supposed to stay here and be here and lead this church going forward. And I feel really hopeful about that, really peaceful about that. I feel a sense of energy to say yes to what God has next. As Brad said, I think we're moving out of one season into another season, and there's going to be a lot of goodness in that and a lot of change. And one of the things that I feel more convicted about is the sense of hope that is in the kingdom. In the weeks to come, our leadership team's going to work on finishing a kind of redesigned plan with our consultant and our vestry on the way forward for Trinity. But what I know is this, clarity always kind of begats clarity. Um, I remember 12 years ago, or actually more like 14 or 15 years ago, um, when Ashley came into my office to say goodbye um, to, to, to me, she had taken an, an internship at a church on the east side, and she said, you know, we've been here, and we're now going to leave because I've got to do this internship. She was finishing seminary, and on the fly, which is kind of what we do, I said, well, why don't you just do an internship here? And that was the beginning of a, of a partnering, a relationship, seeing um, major, major gifting in this young woman who is now not a young woman, but is a proper grown-up old lady. <laughs> in a sense, we've all kind of grown up on the job around here. Ashley, why don't you come up here? Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, well, firstly, if this is your first Sunday here, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you should come back on another Sunday um, if we don't know each other. My, I'm Ashley. I'm the associate lead pastor here, and um, I am going to be stepping away from my role here at Trinity at the end of April, so in just a few weeks. Uh, in order to go and lead a small Anglican church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is uh, very close to where I'm from. It's a, a home for me. And, um, you know, though, what has been increasingly, uh, you know, I, I'm very excited to go and be with these people. They're wonderful people. Uh, Fayetteville's wonderful. It really is. If you've ever been there, um, it's an incredible place. And so it's going to be a real uh, honor for me to get to go and, like, serve Jesus with these people. Um, but it occurred to me this morning as I was driving into this cul-de-sac, like, I am for sure uh, leaving one home and one family in order to go back to another home and another family. Uh, you all have, um, so many of you have become, in every sense of the word, like family uh, to me and my family. Um, I couldn't love a place or a group of people more than I love all of you. It wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be healthy. It'd be a weird thing. Uh, and um, that, therefore, makes it impossibly hard to succinctly summarize um, or condense down for both of us what has been the last few years or let alone the last few months. It's just impossible to do in, like, a couple minutes or two lines. Um, but I feel, um, yeah, what Chris is saying is, is true. Um, you know, man, real life and 
real love and like the call to follow Jesus is, you know, it's complicated and it's beautiful and it's hard. And you know, you'll hang, the only people you'll ever hang with for a really long time are the people that you know can be honest with you about that. And it's one of the things that I've always really loved and appreciated about this church. It's what's made it be like home for me. So there are two things that I want you to know for certain, like with my own mouth, my own face, um, that aren't true. (laughs) Um, Here's what's not true. Um, It's not true that I just came to a moment of clarity in the last couple of months that I'm meant to lead in the church. Um, In some ways, we've been working on that for a long time. Um, I came to this church in 2007 I'm confused and frustrated about my own sense of calling. I didn't know that I had one, but confused and frustrated nonetheless. And it's also pretty powerful to imagine that I'll be going back home a very different kind of person. Um, I'm not confused about my calling anymore. And that's in no small part due to all of your efforts at loving me and supporting me and doing exactly what the church is meant to do which we're meant to equip each other. That's what we do. We look at Jesus in each other. We call it out. We love one another, support one another, so that we can go out and be who we're meant to be, who we're called to be. And so I'm going home a different kind of person, not just leader as a result of all of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank all of you for being who you're supposed to be. That's what we do. That's the church. In 2014, we decided as a team that we would plant the Eastside Parish And um, I stepped into, with that venture, into a role and into, I believe, a calling that I couldn't have said before that would have been natural to me um, or that I would have loved as much as I did. And I discovered something, I think, a sense of calling to lead in the church in that unique way. I loved every second of being there. When I came back here in 2018 to the West Side, I stepped into a different role, but that sense of calling persisted. It's not like I changed my mind about what I was called to do. Just my role, my work on a day-to-day basis was different. And, and as a result, somewhat out of joint, uh, there was a feeling, while loving every minute of being here, there was a feeling of like, you know, we said earlier, we've never stood here together before, and um, we take up a lot of space as people who love us and work with us will tell you. Um, We're good time, but we're a lot, you know? And um, so we we knew, even then, probably, there's like an expiration date on this. At some point, it will not make sense anymore to do that. And I think that time is now. But that does not mean that I just like woke up and decided I'm called to lead the church. That was a gift you gave me a long time ago. That the Lord gave me a long time ago. So thank you for that. And then secondly, that being said, I, it is not true that I am going to Fayetteville, Arkansas to build the Church of Ashley because the Church of Chris already exists here. Um, and it matters that not only we are clear-headed about that, but that you are clear-headed about that. The church belongs to Jesus. And if that is not emphatically clear in any church that you're a part of, you need to find a new one. It's his church. He's the boss. He's my boss. He's Chris's boss. He's our boss together. We belong to him. And we all have a calling to follow him. My way of doing that is unique and particular, just like yours is. They're different. But every single one of us, if we're signed up to follow him, that's the ask, is that we follow him and do the thing we're called to do. We are the church together. We build it together. We lead it together. We serve alongside 
one another, shoulder to shoulder. That's how we be who we're meant to be. So it matters that you know that. Um, I love you. I'm extraordinarily thankful for every minute I have spent here, um, and this will forever be home for me. Um, so thank you for letting me be your pastor. And if you know people in Fayetteville or the surrounding areas, now's your time to call them and tell them that they need to go to church. <laughs> Someone from Fayetteville was actually at the first service, which is weird um, and kind of and great. great. Yeah. Let's stand together if we're able. On the 19th. I love you. I remember our bishop, one of our bishops, TJ, was standing with us in, or sitting with us in a room, gosh, seven or eight years ago, and he said, if you do this resource church thing, planting churches, it's going to cost you. I don't think I thought at the time that it was gonna bring us to this place. Um, we were thinking more east side um, the first time. And yet, um, this is just the way the kingdom works. Um, we are gonna gather together for a member meeting on the 19th of April, so mark your calendars. If you're not a member, you're also invited to that meeting. We're gonna be at that meeting charting a way forward for Trinity and hearing more emphatically and celebrating and feasting together in the Easter season what God's doing in Ashley and what he's going to do in Fayetteville with this church that she's taking over to lead. So please mark your calendar, member or otherwise. It's going to be an open family meeting for people who call Trinity home. I want to pray for Ashley, and then she's going to do what she does. She's going to lead us to the communion table. Father, I thank you for this woman, friend, thankful God for her life and I'm thankful God for the fact that Trinity is what it is um, because of her partnership and influence and leadership over these last 12 years. Father, I pray that you would send her and that we would send her out with heaviness in our hearts but joy about what you're going to do next. Father, I thank you that Trinity is going to be okay and Ashley is going to be okay, and I'm going to be okay. God, we thank you for the fact that wherever we are when we're with you, it's a safe place to be, even if we're not seeing everything like we want to or hope to or will eventually see them. Yes. Just bless this time, God. I thank you, Father, for this woman and this relationship. Help us, God, as a church to grieve well, and to walk through change with courage and hope for a clear future, Lord, all around. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy Spirit, help us to pray, Lord. Lord, we bring our hearts to you, God. We thank you, God, for the gift of safe places to look at our own lives, to be honest about who we are, and to be with you.
Lord, tend to us. Help us to see. Jesus, we ask you for the clarity that your spirit brings. Help us to see our own selves, where we are in relation to you, where we've missed you. Lord, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought and word and deed. That there are things, Jesus, that we have done that we shouldn't have done. And there are things, Lord, that we have left undone that we still need to do. Jesus, we have not loved you, Lord, with our whole heart, always. And so we've not loved the people around us the way that we love ourselves. And we're asking you now, Holy Spirit, for the gift, the grace, God of repentance. Jesus, turn us around. Turn us toward you. Turn the church towards you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for not giving up on us, for staying close to us. That we might delight in your will, and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. The Lord loves you and forgives you. He knows you and sees you, and it is his delight, his great joy in lifting heaviness and shame and guilt and fear and all those things off of you and throwing it as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, will you lift all that is heavy on us, Lord, so that we can follow you, God. Be who you've made us and called us to be. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.